I, I think there are fine cases to be made for each of our lifestyle choices in terms of uh, whether whether to have children or not have children. <laughs> Plenty of pros and cons to either. Here's something you avoided, Kieran, by choosing the no children route. You never had to take a 14 year old boy cologne shopping. Oh, my God. Yeah. Apparently, cologne is very trendy these days among the, the teenage boys. I, I I've never bought cologne in my life. Never thought about buying no. cologne like deodorant. Good enough. That'll do the trick. Yeah. But uh, yeah, apparently cologne is in. So I had to uh, take my son to uh, a, a beauty product store and uh, we had no idea what we were doing until uh, until we finally flagged down a guy who worked there to uh, see if he could point us in the right direction. We're just like spraying smelly shit all over <laughs> like wrists and <laughs> smelling it and deciding what made us uh, gag and what didn't. And uh, it took a while to uh, scrub it all off. But uh, anyway, hope you feel better about your life decisions after uh, ducking that particular adventure. Well, you know, I can help you with that. I mean, Donald Trump just launched a range of cologne <laughs> over the weekend. Great. And the bottle comes with like an actual little bust of him on top. <laughs> I'm like trying to imagine what a Donald Trump affiliated scent. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, you would not want to be trapped in an elevator with somebody wearing it. You just right. know instantly. Definitely not. Um, <laughs> oh, I've got the name for it. Insurrection by Donald Trump. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Welcome to another edition of the Interim Champion Boxing Podcast with Raskin and Mulvaney, with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney. It's a big day today, because at the end of this episode, we will be reviewing the final installment of True Detective Night Country. We will also look at the news, including the latest edition of Who Will Canelo Fight? And I'll hit Eric with another round of the fight game. But first, we have a few fights to look back on, and we begin in Commerce, California, where on Thursday night, Jesus Ricky Perez scored something of an upset victory over former titleist Jojo Diaz, over 10 rounds in the super lightweight division, Perez won a split decision victory by divergent scores of 96-94, 99-90, and 94-95. And afterward, Diaz struck an unhappy figure, calling the scores unfair and blaming his promoter, Golden Boy. Um, Eric, when I see scores like that, I think either one judge was asleep or it was a very close fight with some difficult to score rounds. I didn't watch the fight, but you did. So which is closer to the truth? And did Diaz have any kind of good reason to complain? I think Diaz had good reason to complain about the 99-90 scorecard from Dr. Lou Moret. Uh, that was befuddling and made Diaz feel like he never had an opportunity to win on that scorecard. And it's particularly odd because Diaz was the A-side. He, he was the big favorite. I mean, he was like minus 650 or so coming in. So if a scorecard was going to be quote unquote filled out in advance, you would think it would favor Diaz. Not that that would be any more acceptable. Of course, I'm, I'm just saying it would be less surprising. So I think Diaz has a right to be pissed about that scorecard, but he doesn't have a right to be pissed about the decision going Perez's way. I had Perez winning 96, 93, six rounds to four with a point deduction on Jojo for throwing Perez to the canvas in the fifth round. Justice was served, I thought. Perez was the the close but clear winner in my book. He was in great shape, fought his ass off. He out-hustled Diaz. And Diaz, at age 31, 
after a lot of tough 12 round and 10 round distance fights. I, I mean, Jojo, he's never been stopped, but he also almost never scores stoppage wins. So he has logged a lot of rounds. Diaz has noticeably slowed down a lot. He couldn't match Perez's energy. He's just a hair slower than he used to be. This is four losses in his last five fights now. And, you know, unfortunately for him, this is where he is in his career. He's going to lose to anyone world-class. And now we see he's not even a sure thing against a a trial horse fringe contender type. Um, But, you know, good for Ricky Perez. This was easily the best win of his career. And despite how Diaz feels about the decision, he earned it. And hopefully for him, he can use it as a springboard. Uh, The next night, Friday in Oaxaca, Mexico, uh, and Mea culpa uh, here. Boy, did I butcher that pronunciation last week. I said <laughs> Oaxaca, like the pathetic gringo I am. Uh, and you didn't you didn't correct me, Karen. So you're guilty by association. No, I, I didn't. I, I my uh, my attention span is very short and I briefly thought about it and then was distracted. So, ah, you so go. you but so you did know I had it way wrong, though, and you just yeah, didn't, did. didn't feel like interrupting. OK, fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, on Friday night, uh, Sivanapi Nonshinga gained revenge over Adrian Curiel in a 108 pound title bout. In November, Curiel had spoiled Nonshinga's unbeaten record by knocking him cold in the second round. This time, Nonshinga stopped Curiel in the 10th. But Karen, is it fair to say the outcome looked in doubt for much of the night? Yeah, very much. Um, right from the beginning, the two men sort of went forward and it was forehead to forehead, uh, phone booth stuff. Uh, and while that was, you know, going to be always much more Curiel's fight than on Chinga's, at first it looked like Monchinga was going to get the better of it because he was pivoting, he was showing angles um, while working in close. But then what Curiel was able to do was just basically trap Monchinga against the ropes, partly by using footwork to stop him from moving from side to side, and partly also by hanging on to the ropes when uh, referee Mark Colloy wasn't looking. Um, and round after round, Monchinga just retreated to the ropes. Curiel went after him. Uh, the two men were throwing tons of punches, um, although Curiel's punches seemed greater in both volume and effectiveness. And the you know, and Kira was also happy to just punch anywhere, like punch Nonchinga on his arms, punch him wherever, just to try and slow him down. And it and it was it was a bit of an off fight after a while, after about six or seven rounds, because both men were throwing a ton of punches, and you couldn't help but be in awe of their courage and their cardiovascular systems. But it was sometimes happens in boxing, doesn't it, where a fight can be fast paced but still monotonous, if you know what I mean. It's like mm. it was the same same thing round after round. And it also just made no sense. Why is Nanchinga doing this? He has to try and get some kind of distance, but okay, maybe Curiel just isn't allowing him. Maybe Nanchinga's more focused on not getting knocked out again than on necessarily doing what he has to do to win. But then everything changed in the eight. Nanchinga suddenly found a bit more room. He started to back Curiel up and turn him around. In the ninth, he went back to the ropes again, but then he scored with a beautiful combination off the ropes that had Curiel in trouble. Cracked him with another couple of big shots again at the beginning of the 10th uh, and a couple of flurries in there without any response ended up with the stoppage. It was a tremendous turnaround. Uh, but it, yes, it absolutely seemed very touch and go until very close to the end. And afterwards, uh, Nanchinga's trainer, Colin Nathan, said, uh, yeah, that was actually the plan. We really did want to draw him into the pocket until he wore himself out and then we'd get some space and and finish him off. And if that really was the plan... That is a case of really threading the needle and betting on yourself there and having faith in your fighter and the fighter having faith in himself because, boy, it sure looked like uh, they had picked the wrong strategy for some time there. 
Yeah, so obviously, uh, you know that uh, I was watching another fight at the time, so I saw it after the fact, already knowing the result, which, so it sort of removes the drama, but nevertheless, I, I enjoyed watching this fight. It was good action. Um, I haven't seen if there's been any talk about a rubber match, uh, but to me, this screams rubber match. Um, certainly great win for Nonshinga, even if, as you said, he had to thread the needle. And um I'll just add that I, I didn't envy the referee, Mark Colloy, having to try to decide when to stop it. Uh, Curiel yeah. was was wobbly and hurt, and Colloy kept thinking about jumping in, and then Curiel would would punch back just enough, or he'd hold, and and finally Colloy had seen enough, and I thought it was a perfectly fine stoppage. We were probably down around a 1% chance of Curiel landing yeah. something to turn it around, any much higher chance than that of him getting badly hurt. But, but Curiel himself did not love the stoppage. He was complaining as Colloy jumped in with a big Steve Smoker-esque bear hug. But um, again, the perfect moment was not clearly presenting itself. Tough job for Colloy. I thought he picked as reasonable a spot as any to stop this fight. Yeah, indeed. Um, at the same time as that, Oaxaca card was streaming on zone. ESPN was airing a 130-pound title bout which was the one that you were watching, between Oshaki Foster and Abraham Nova. Uh, Foster prevailed, a 12th round knockdown, helping him to secure a split decision victory. Eric, boy, Oshaki's making a habit of these last-round heroics and desperate last stands. Uh, was this the correct decision, and uh, how was the fight? Yeah, absolutely a correct decision. The fact that Judge John McKay made it a split decision with a 114-113 card for Nova was the closest thing to incorrect. Uh, I scored 116-111 for Shock, uh, as did uh, Judge Kevin Morgan. The 115-112 for Mark Constantino, absolutely fine, of course. I did mark seven of the 12 rounds as close. So McKay's card, not impossible, just a, a little bit of a reach that ends up getting wrong a fight that by the end it felt very clear that foster had won but you know thanks to the other two judges the right guy got the victory so there's no need to dwell further on the scoring this was a competitive matchup throughout there's there's really not a ton separating foster from nova in, in skill or talent they're right on the same level except foster had much better stamina nova got fatigued from about the eighth round on and as we all know it's it's not just how hard you train and how great a shape you're in it's also about being relaxed in the ring, not burning energy by being tense. And Foster, that is one of his strengths. Uh, Oshaki, he has this new nickname that I, I hadn't heard prior to this fight, Ice Water. It absolutely yeah, applies. Um, <laughs> yeah. He just looks supremely confident at all times and, and goes about his business. And even when he suffers a biceps injury mid-fight from an errant elbow, doesn't make a huge dramatic deal about it. He keeps doing his thing. So he really got the better of Nova down the stretch as Nova's technique was getting progressively worse and, and Foster's technique wasn't changing. And if by chance you couldn't tell already that Nova was seriously tired, his cornerman confirmed it for you at the start of the 12th. They spilled a whole bottle of water right in the middle of the ring. Producing quality podcast content like this doesn't come easy. And we are, oh, so very poor. So if you would like to listen to the rest of this, please click the necessary button and subscribe.